This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon. It's a ruling that could have major implications for hundreds of drunk driving cases across the province. A Brampton judge acquitted a driver who failed a roadside breath test because of testimony from a former government scientist who said that the device is faulty and the process used in this province is flawed. I want to know what you think. If you're having visions of people running amok and driving drunk because there's something wrong with the process, uh, the numbers 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740 on Twitter at FightBackLibby or you can email us fightback at zoomer.ca. The lawyer who successfully had the roadside test thrown out is Richard Posner and he joins us now. Mr. Posner, welcome. Thank you, Libby. Thanks for having me on. Well, what on what basis did the judge throw out the case? Well, I just want to make it clear, it's not that the device was exactly faulty. Um, what, what, the, what the case boiled down to is what I might call a battle of the experts. The expert that I called is a chap by the name of Ben Joseph. You know, he had been uh, a government uh, toxicologist at the Center of Forensic Sciences for 13 years, left after that to pursue a career in medicine. He's now in his uh, fourth year of studies uh, at the University of Northern uh, Ontario. And, you know, Mr. Joseph testified really on two key areas. The first area, which I think, you know, has some fairly broad systemic importance, is with respect to what, what he refers to as uncertainty of measurement. Uncertainty of measurement is, is another way of sort of saying the, how much statistical confidence you can have in the reliability of results. Um, and in, in this particular case, he noted that there is no uncertainty of measurement for the instrument that was used in my client's case. And he went on to say no uncertainty of measurement for any uh, intoxilizer instruments throughout the province. So what does that mean? You don't know what the margin of error is? It means that you do not know what the level of confidence that can be had in the reliability of the actual subject test results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dr. Langille, who testified for the Center of Forensic Sciences in reply by the, by the Crown, had indicated, uh, you know, that, you know, really that there was no, no, no real response to this. And, and the reason that he couldn't really respond uh, effectively was this. In the Center of Forensic Sciences, for every result that they uh, obtain through the use of any scientific testing devices, whether it's the gas chromatography instruments, uh, various instruments, any instruments that generate a, a numeric uh, or quantitative result, there must be an uncertainty of measurement. And if they do not have an uncertainty of measurement associated for each and every instrument, for each and every test, Center of Forensic Sciences is, is, is at risk of losing their international accreditation as a forensic laboratory. And what's significant here is the fact that it's the Center of Forensic Sciences that oversees the alcohol breath testing program in the province of Ontario. 
So what you have in effect, Livy, is a double standard. Uh huh. Okay. So just cutting through all that—that's a, a lot of technical information about a test. But uh, basically, aren't we talking here about getting off of drunk driving on a technicality that may affect a lot of cases? I don't think so. What we're talking about is is really the difference between good science and and bad science. And you know, Ontario. Um, you know, the, the idea that Ontario should have uh, instruments that, that have uncertainty of measurements associated with them, is, it's not a novel idea. Indeed, a number of the states in the United States require uh, that in their alcohol breath testing program that there be uncertainty of measurement so that the courts can know and the public can know and individual accused people can know how reliable these instruments are and how reliable the tests are. After all, people are getting uh, convicted on the basis of, of these instruments. And it's about ensuring that there's good science behind them. Right. So are you saying that these people were not, had not been drinking? No. In, in, you know, in this particular case, there was no question that, um, that the defendant who I'd represented had alcohol in his body. The question wasn't, though, whether uh, he had, had alcohol in his body. The question was whether he was over the legal limit. In, in Canada, as you may know, the legal limit is 80 milligrams of alcohol and 100 milliliters of blood. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, you know, in, in, you know, in this particular case, there were two, as there is required, that there be two uh, breath samples taken. Uh, both of them were over the uh, legal limit. And the question ultimately before the trial judge was whether or not uh, these were reliable results. And on that base, that was one of the bases upon which Justice Reddy uh, had a reasonable doubt about the reliability of the results. There was another area, and it's a very important area. What I was able to do, Libby, was um, in the preparation of the case, I was able to obtain from the Crown uh, prosecutor uh, a huge amount of, of data from the instrument. Really, you can call it from the instrument's black box. And this data includes hundreds of thousands of items of information, including you know, all of the past subject tests over the years, diagnostic tests, calibration tests. And Mr. Joseph had software that actually I think that he actually created. And he was able to review this enormous amount of data, and in doing so, found that in the instrument's history, there were a large number of diagnostic and calibration failures. And in addition to that... It's we just a minute. To, are you yeah. talking about this particular unit? That, or are you talking correct. about... So it's just that that wouldn't have widespread implications if you're just talking about one particular unit of one particular type. Well, I can tell you that this is not the first case, uh, and I doubt it will be the last, um, and there are many lawyers that, that have come across this where uh, we see, not just with this instrument, but with many instruments, uh, you know, significant problems uh, within the downloaded data. And, you know, th- the real problem is that there may be an innocent explanation. There may have been steps taken to rectify the problems in the instrument's history. The problem was, for Mr. Joseph and ultimately the trial judge, is that there was no indication in the, in, the, in the maintenance logs that the police had done anything to deal with these problems. So while the problems could conceivably have been trivial, they could have equally been potentially catastrophic, and yet no indications that anything had been done. And so consequently, uh, the judge was, 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 was left to conclude that this instrument had not been properly maintained. And, uh, you know, that's a problem uh, in this case, and it's a problem in, in many other cases. Okay, let's just give out the numbers once again. I want to hear what, what people think uh, that these problems could have a wide implication for uh, driving under the influence convictions, 
uh, here in Ontario. The number is 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. And, and again, a Brampton judge acquitted a driver who failed a roadside test because of testimony from a former government scientist about the reliability of those devices. And uh, we have on the line Richard Posner, the lawyer who won that case. Uh, so how many cases are we talking about here that could be affected by this? And uh, are you concerned about people thinking, well, if there's a problem with this, you know, maybe uh, it wouldn't be a big deal if I have a few and then get behind the wheel? Well, look, I mean, every case is decided on its own facts, and uh, the, the dangers of drinking and driving are well known. The, uh, the problem of drinking and driving is an enormous one in our community, and you know, we have to be, be absolutely vigilant against, uh, against drinking and driving. What this case, though, Libby, what it's about is about good science and the importance that before, you know, before allowing a person to get convicted on the basis of, of, of a device like the intoxilizer instrument, we just want to make sure that, that we get it right. And that's what this case is about. And, you know, Mr. Joseph's testimony suggests, you know, that, that we, we really may need to uh, pick up our act a little bit and move toward uh, the way it's done in, in some of these states in the United States. So, so good uh, science, Libby. So ha- has your phone been ringing off the hook by uh, clients who maybe had previous convictions who are wondering if there's anything they can do about that? I've been so busy responding to uh, questions from the press uh, since uh, this morning, but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I've, I've received a number a number of calls uh, from from uh, individuals uh, you know, who face these these difficulties. Uh, of course, yes. And and again, um, how many cases do you think that this could potentially affect? I mean, this is a lower court ruling, but um, you know, what are the implications? Well, I think that, that that's an important thing to note. I mean, the reality is that the Crown has uh, served notice of uh, their intention to appeal uh, this this decision. Um, it's in the early stages. Uh, it's not. I can't say when that appeal will be heard. It would be in the coming months to the coming year or so. Um, and uh, we really will have to wait to, to hear uh, what the Court of Appeal has to say on the matter if the Crown follows through uh, with it. Uh, but certainly for the time being, uh, the decision raises some broad systemic concerns about, you know, at a minimum, a real potential double standard uh, that the Center of Forensic Sciences uh, is applying uh, to their lab on the one hand, but alcohol breath testing on the other. And that, that's a matter that I think the public needs to really consider. Now, who all uses this particular type of breathalyzer machine? Is that all through Ontario? Is that just Peel region? No, so the Intoxilizer 8000C is used uh, throughout the province. Um, we previously, uh, in its earlier iteration, uh, was the Intoxilizer 5000C, and it was, you know, say, upgraded to the 8000C, and I expect uh, we'll see a new uh, New uh, versions of of this instrument, but at the moment, I think the vast the vast bulk of of, uh, of Ontario police detachments use the Intoxilizer 8000C. Do you know uh, about the rest of Canada? You know, I I'm, I, I can't speak uh, for outside of, of Ontario. I uh, I defend these cases uh, throughout Ontario, but but not in other other provinces. Uh, so uh, again, I know you're being cautious here, but uh, presumably, I mean, if if this case holds up. Can we see a situation where uh, suddenly people want to have another look at their convictions and these things kind of gum up the works in the court system? I can well understand why, um, you know, a, a person who uh, 
who was convicted of, of a drinking and driving offense, an over-80 offense, um, you know, in, in Peel, um, especially with this instrument or an instrument that, um, that, that has, you know, a, a history of, of potential problems, uh, would, would, want to look, would, would want to have their conviction uh, reviewed. I, I could understand that, uh, given this ruling. Right. So what, what, as a, you know, what would you predict the result would be? If it stands up, well, I mean, it would. I mean, any person that would want to appeal their conviction, I think, would would need to uh, marshal some fresh uh, fresh evidence, and would need to marshal some uh, expert evidence on this issue. And and the, every case is decided on its own facts, and uh, every case has to be looked at individually. Um, so it, it's, right, but it's if a case the, by case scenario. Yeah, but if the device is is faulty and or the process is faulty, then uh, you know. Doesn't that apply equally to every case that used the same devices and the same processes? I don't disagree, uh, Libby, that if, if Justice Reddy's logic uh, in, 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 the, in adopting uh, Mr. Joseph's te- testimony holds. Uh, it could be said that for every over-80 conviction, uh, you know, based on an intoxilizer result, there is reason to be concerned. Mm-hmm. And approximately, how many convictions are there? How many? Uh, you know, I, I don't have the stats on that, Libby, but, I mean, we're talking about, uh, I'm sure, hundreds uh, of convictions, um, if, not, if not more. Okay, well, let's give out the numbers once again, and they are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about drunk driving convictions. We're talking about uh, uh, the acquittal of a driver who failed a roadside breath test because of testimony about um, how reliable the devices are and how reliable the processes used are. So, uh, you know, the lawyer who won this case, Richard Posner, said, this could potentially affect a lot of other cases. What do you think about that? Does it worry you at all that uh, now maybe some people who want to drink and get behind the wheel might feel a little freer to do that? Um, Do you think it might potentially clog up the works in the court system, or do you think that this is just justice working its way? Uh, We're talking to Richard Posner on the line. Uh, Were you surprised by this outcome? I mean, have you tried to use a similar defense before? Um, I I had never... uh called Mr. Joseph uh, in the past. Um, I think this was the first uh, time that, that he testified um, in, in any of the cases that I've done in, over the years. It was a, it was a long, hard-fought case, and as I say, it was sort of a battle of the experts. And you know, the Crown had called a, a veteran toxicologist, uh, Dr. Robert Langille. And um, this is a very controversial area. It would be very controversial. And at the end of the day, Justice Reddy released a very, very uh, detailed, very comprehensive uh, decision. It, it took her almost an hour and a half to, to deliver it. Uh, it was carefully thought out, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with the result, and I, I think that it reflected a, a high level of, uh, of understanding of the evidence, and it was a very fair decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, uh, lawyers have tried to use this argument many times before, and it's not, not been successful. Do you think it all turned on your expert witness? Well, I don't know that, that this particular argument has, has been used in the past. I, I think, uh, you know, Mr. Joseph's uh, position here uh, is, is not uh, an entirely novel position, but I don't know that, that uh, this particular uh, line of testimony has uh, been heard in our courts. Uh, it certainly hasn't been adjudicated on. Um, and, 
so uh, it, it, it's somewhat novel, certainly in, in Ontario. Okay. Richard Posner, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with another perspective on this and with your calls. Again, Richard Posner, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about this ruling that could have a major implication for hundreds of drunk driving cases across the province. A Brampton judge acquitted a driver who failed a roadside test because of testimony from a former government scientist uh, who said that the device is faulty and the process is flawed. And before we get to our next expert, we're going to hear from you and what you think. George in Scarborough. Hi, George. How are you doing, Libby? I'm fine. Like, my comment is zero tolerance. Like, the guy, the police called, you know, stopped the man for some reason. And, like, and he, and he failed the test. Like, he, was he half drunk or what? Do you have to be over 80 to be drunk? Well, like, it, if there's you're a drinking, legal. You're, you're drinking, period. Well, exactly. Like, I've never heard of a woman being half pregnant. Well, there, the the law has a limit, uh, so there is a legal limit. So well, the, it's they should not, change the law. Uh-huh. A lot of people would it agree with that. It should be zero tolerance, like you're either sober or you're drunk, period. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my comment. That's your comment. I think Thanks a lot of people, much. you're welcome, share that view. Uh, let's go to uh, Maria in Etobicoke. Hi, Maria. Oh, hi. Good afternoon, Libby. Uh, it looks to me that uh, if you have the funds to hire um, expert witness, you can get away with anything on the technicality. Uh, um, go ahead, yes. Um, you think that it's a matter of just hiring the right expert? Exactly. Uh-huh. It's interesting, you know, this lawyer said that he never had that particular expert. So uh, it sounds like maybe he got lucky or something with him because uh, I know that that, that is often, and we're, in a minute we're going to be talking to another defense lawyer who deals with these type of cases, but I think that uh, it's not unusual for the lawyers to call uh, to question the reliability of the results of these breathalyzer tests. And I, and I um, wholeheartedly agree with you for the caller ahead of me. There should be zero tolerance. You have alcohol in your system. You should not be able to, uh, to drive. That, that would certainly solve the case. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, in British Columbia, their law, I'm not sure if it's exactly zero, but it's pretty close to zero. And uh, I know that uh, just personally, a lot of people who used to say, well, maybe I used to have one drink or something like that, now like, will absolutely not even have a sip before they get into a car. So uh, maybe that's really the way to go. I think so, too. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, we're now going to go uh, to another perspective from the legal profession. We have lawyer Patrick Metzler, who specializes in DUI cases. Mr. Metzler, thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. My pleasure, Libby. So what do you think this ruling means? Well, I think some of the comments you made earlier are, are appropriate. That One, it's only one decision, and it is from a lower court. So I think the impact of... Justice Reddy's decision, it's difficult to gauge at this stage. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I think, however, I think there will be consequences from her decision because as a former Crown attorney, and I used to prosecute these cases and defending them, uh, in Justice Reddy's decision, uh, there is a lot of truth to it. And I think most uh, lawyers would agree. It's very difficult for defense lawyers or even Crown attorneys to get the proper data and any assurance that this machine is working properly. And and uh, why is that? Why is it so difficult? Because the uh, data we receive, and oftentimes a defense lawyer really has to claw for it and demand it, uh, as as was found in Justice Reddy's decision, is really unhelpful and isn't determinative. And if it wasn't for someone like Mr. Joseph, who really had an inside view of what or experience of what was going on at the Center of Forensic Sciences, we wouldn't know any of this. So, do, do, um, do, doesn't the Crown have an obligation to disclose this type of evidence? Uh, Crowns take various positions on whether how much they uh, are required to disclose. Oftentimes, their answer will be it's not relevant. But even in this case, as Mr. Joseph found as an expert witness, this data, uh, these records really were of little value to him in terms of uh, assessing or being able to determine the reliability of the machine. And and why why was that? Well, because one, uh, the records couldn't explain uh, the problems or the, the the errors previously, nor could it be identified what the error was or what was done, in fact, to fix it. And uh, as Justice Reddy found, uh, there's an absence of um, really a standard to measure the machine. Okay. Uh, she used the term uncertainty of, of inaccuracy, and uh, that's a problem because the machines... There's sort of almost a mystification about them that uh, they're accurate and that's it and don't ask any questions. And there's really only one machine used in Ontario. And many lawyers, many judges have never operated this machine, seen this machine other than on a breath testing video. Well, that's that's one of the other questions that I had. Are we talking about one unit of this machine or are we talking about this type of machine? Well, Mr. Joseph's evidence, it's not just one particular machine. It seems to be a systemic problem with the machines, at least in Ontario. And as he uh, indicated in the Star article that, I mean, they were aware of this problem at the Center of Forensic Sciences and nothing was done about it. Nothing was disclosed. It's kind of uh, a culture of secrecy that, you know, we've seen in other situations too, like the Dr. Charles Smith, the coroner. Mm-hmm. where later all of this information comes out that his tests were not accurate and led to a lot of uh, travesties of justice wrongful pe- uh, people being wrongfully convicted. Okay, let's give out the numbers once again, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about the implications of this drunk driving case where a Brampton judge acquitted a driver who failed a roadside test because of testimony from a former government scientist. I'm on the line with defense lawyer Patrick Metzler. Um, At the end of the day, are we talking here about people getting off on a technicality? No, and I couldn't disagree more with those two previous callers on one level. I mean, everyone in our system, if you're charged, uh, it's your right in our country to be tried fairly in a courtroom. The government, which has a lot of resources, is required to prove the case against you. 
And basically what Justice Reddy found was this machine and the way it's being operated cannot satisfy the court. And everybody's entitled to that. And I know people are calling for zero tolerance. That's in Scandinavia. But, I mean, that's another issue, really. That's not the law as it is in Canada. And if anyone knows anyone who has been charged with drinking and driving offenses, I mean, the consequences are very severe. Uh, A person gets a criminal record that can affect employment as well. Even if you are acquitted, you've usually hired a lawyer and paid a lawyer. You've already received a 90-day automatic driver's license license suspension, whether you're acquitted or not. Your car is impounded for seven days. And, uh, I mean, there are a lot of consequences. These are very serious charges with a lot of implications. The government has a lot of resources, and they should be you know, uh, able to prove the case against you. That's all the defense is asking for. Well, well, of course, the other consequence, uh, the very sad consequences of uh, drunk driving can be, you know, very serious injury or death. Oh, certainly. And the courts take these charges very seriously. And the consequences and the penalties are increasing. As, uh, as we see time and time again, the higher courts continue to increase the penalties and drinking and driving convictions, especially where there is personal injury or death. And no, I agree. It's difficult to quarrel with that. That's, that's, that's fine. But all we ask is that people are tried in court in a fair and proper process. Now, I know already found that wasn't done. And I, I know you're being cautious about the fact that this is one decision in a lower court, but potentially, I mean, first of all, has your phone been ringing off the hook this morning? Not, not yet, no. And I, but I, I mean, one part of the article I thought was very interesting was they talked about the flow sensor, meaning that the police found it was very difficult for people to provide breath samples. And when they spoke to the manufacturer, there was actually a defect or a, a problem that, uh, that the machine was experiencing. And it's unfortunate that that information isn't distributed because. Uh, Libby, I have many clients who come into my office who say, and I believe them 100%, I was really trying to provide a breast sample. I was doing my best. I was nervous, and I couldn't. The machine wouldn't accept it. So, so oh, I, and what happens in that case? Well, they're charged with refused breast sample, and then they, <laughs> and which has the same consequences as... Just a minute. You're, uh, you blow into machine. the machine, it doesn't register, and then you're charged because of that? Because the breathalyzer technician is saying, look, uh, you're not trying hard enough, you're not blowing hard enough. And, you know, I've seen the videotape where my clients of various sizes, uh, you know, both sexes say, look, I'm trying the best I can. I'm nervous, but I'm trying it. And when they come into my office, and I always tell clients, the only way I can help you is if you tell me the truth, and they swear by that. And, you know, it would have been good to have known this type of information. I don't really understand why. Has anybody uh, ever gotten off because of that? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say get off. I mean, clients are acquitted if a judge truly believes that uh, they were not refusing and they were attempting to provide a breast sample. But, I mean, uh, if we had this information that the machine wasn't working properly, of course it would assist. And all this information, you know, in the end helps the police and helps the courts because the more more the courts know, uh, the system will get better. They'll improve it. And then people like George and Maria, their concerns will be addressed. Okay, Patrick, hang on a sec. Let's take sure. a call. We've got Mike in Brantford. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you? Good. Yeah, uh, I think uh, the most likely outcome with this case is that um, uh, 
the governments will uh, make the uh, regulations on these machines stricter and stricter so that they're, you know, calibrated more often, uh, examined more often, etc. So, you know, t- to tighten the uh, loopholes. Uh, that's what I think the most likely outcome is. Patrick, what do you do? You think that's likely? Yeah, I agree with Mike. I, I believe and I hope uh, that will be the result of the government will obviously become concerned about the testing and uh, uh, the, the reliability of the machines and improve that. That's uh, what often these something? decisions do. They create a response from the government and a positive one. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think, uh, Patrick, that that would clear up the problem? Well, in the future, certainly it would, if they can address Justice Reddy's concerns and say, oh, that's not the case now. Now we we check them in a certain manner. Uh, this is our testing process. So whatever concerns you had before, uh, they're not present now. Uh-huh. So I agree with Mike. I believe that's a likely consequence. Okay, uh-huh. Libby, uh, what I also wanted to say was uh, the first thing that happens when there's a serious impaired driving case is, you get all these, uh, you know, alcohol prohibitionists on there saying, oh, they should be charged if they have a mouthful of alcohol in their system. Uh, you know, the, the system works just fine. It's, uh, you know, just enforcement of zero uh, weight. Uh, if if you had it so that even one beer or one sip uh, made you a criminal, then they'd have to shut down every bar and restaurant, and trust me, there's police, judges, MPs, government officials who have a, a, a drink or two all the time before getting behind the wheel. You know, know well, what I'm saying? Um, I, I do know what you're saying. I, I'm not sure I agree that's okay, but I, I do know that, that in British Columbia, the law is different, and it's basically zero. It might be like a smidge above zero, but... It seems to be working there. Now, I have to do more research on exactly what is going on there and what the result is. But but it's, it's not like uh, this is something that would only occur in a foreign country because it, it, the law was changed in British Columbia to something. Well, and Libby, if I can just jump in. So, uh, my understanding, too, is the rates of uh, drinking and driving charges in B.C. is actually dropping. Yeah. Uh, unlike Ontario, where really uh, the number is still pretty consistent. People say enforcement has been heightened. But I mean, when I was a Crown attorney more than 20 years ago, the message was going out against drinking and driving. So and, and we see in Scandinavia where it's zero. And I think there's a push uh, for that uh, in Ontario and uh, I think nationwide as well. Patrick, do you know exactly what the limit is in British Columbia? That I don't know. I know that British Columbia has a a new system where they can resolve charges where people can actually plead guilty without getting a criminal record. Because that's a, that's a big problem with a lot of people for employment, et cetera. And that seems to be working very well. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that the, the limit is, it's very low. I, I don't think it's actually zero, but it's something like t- just above zero. Like you can't, ha- you, you can't even, nobody would even think that they could, uh, or, have a drink and get into a car and not blow over. Because the real problem with a lot of these charges is, you know, um, most of my clients who walk in my door, I always say they wouldn't litter, never mind break the law. And oftentimes it's going out with friends. Uh, Once one or two drinks are consumed, your judgment starts to go. And that's often the case where they think they're fine and legally they're not. And uh, I, I think there is a lot of validity and people really pushing for a zero level. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at least there's no confusion there. Well, exactly. And you know, most people, I believe, when they leave their home at night, are not planning to drink and drive and get charged with a very serious offense. If that, that mistake happens later on in the evening, usually after a few drinks. And the consequences uh, can be grave or horrendous, as we've seen, for example, in the Muzo case. Okay, absolutely. I think we have time for one very quick call before we take a break. We've got Sam in Brantford. Hello, Sam. Yes, hello. How are you doing? This Fine. Is my, this is my topic. I'm glad I was able to get through. Quickly, I, though. I've, I've thought for a very, very long time that the system should have been brought in when it was brought in at 0%. And that way, there's no stipulation. The machine is not working right. It's this, it's that. I know people that are over 0.08, and then they go to the court, and then they say, Your Honor, I only had one or two drinks. The system has got to be wrong. If it's zero content, it's 100% correct. Okay. I think that sums it up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam, and thank you very much, Patrick Metzler, for uh, shining a light on this very important subject. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.